Hello, my friends. Welcome to another bonus episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. Today, I've got a new follow-up conversation that is available for patrons who support the podcast. Anyone who supports the podcast for $5 per month or more can get access to now 33 follow-up episodes that I've put out with past guests from the show. I like to reconnect with guests who I've had on and just follow up with them about some of the things that we may have talked about in our first conversation, routes they've been trying, And very often I like to deep dive into a really specific topic in these follow-up calls. And my guest today for this follow-up call is Steve McClure. Our first episode was episode 68, so if you haven't listened to that one, I highly recommend that episode with Steve. And this is basically a full-on round two. The full length of this follow-up is one hour and 40 minutes. So basically a full-length episode, and it's always so good to talk to Steve. He's a really thoughtful guy and one of the best red point climbers in the biz. He's been pushing standards in the UK and worldwide for decades. Steve is 50 years old now, and he's climbed 15B. He put up the hardest route in the UK with Rain Man. That was about four years ago that he did that, and he's still climbing really hard. So as far as learning about tactics and red pointing and tricks for breaking through plateaus and things like that, when it comes to projecting the hard route, this guy is about as knowledgeable as anyone out there. So yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. We talked about what he's been up to for the last year since our first conversation. And we talked about sending the route Lexicon, which is a Neil Gresham route, E11 trad route in the UK. It's like a 514A, where if you fall off the last hard move, you might hit the ground. Uh, So a really scary and potentially even dangerous uh, 514A, given the British grade E11. We talked about what the experience was like climbing on that and how he approaches a hard head point like that, rehearsing the route on top rope, and when he decides to give it a go from the ground and how he navigates risk and how he assesses the risk versus the reward in a situation like that with a hard and potentially dangerous route. So you guys will hear all of that in this free teaser today. The free teaser is about 25 minutes. But as I said, the full episode's an hour and 40 minutes. So this is a really full-on great conversation with Steve. We went on to talk about some testing that he did recently with lattice training. He tested his critical and peak force, and that was really interesting to hear about. I was curious to hear what the implications are, what that means for him as far as what he should work on to potentially climb even harder than he has. We talked about that. We answered some listener questions from our first conversation and questions from patrons that I asked for when I told people that Steve was going to be coming back on the podcast. We talked about tips for breaking through a plateau if you're trying a hard route, a hard sport climber or trad route, and you get stuck falling on the same move over and over, and some of the strategies that Steve uses to continue making progress in that situation. We talked about advice that Steve would have for his younger self and things that he would do differently as far as training and nutrition and things like that. We talked about dealing with injuries and why long-term projects tend to lead to a more fulfilling experience than on-siding or doing things really quickly, and some of Steve's top climbing achievements and memories from a lifetime of climbing. We also talked about Will Bozzi repeating his root mutation. That happened uh, since we talked last, and that was really cool to hear about because Steve and Will had talked a lot about that route while Will was projecting and trying to do the second ascent. So, 
That and a lot more. This is a great conversation with Steve. I really hope you guys enjoy it. And the full version is available right now. If you want to hear the full thing, just go to patreon.com slash the nugget climbing. You can sign up for $5 per month. You get access to lots of good perks. You can read about it there and you can cancel at any time. So it's only five bucks a month. So hopefully that doesn't feel like a big expense for you guys. And it really does add up super quickly. Every dollar truly helps. And that support from patrons is what is supporting the Nugget Climbing Podcast. So it's awesome. I really appreciate it. And it means a lot to have your support. And that said, without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this free teaser with Steve McClure. Yeah. So last time, you know, in our first conversation, you and I talked quite a lot about motivation And that's something I've always admired about you is you're able to tap into your top end and really bring that up and get the absolute most out of your skill sets and out of your strengths that you have to do these really hard red points from time to time. But in between, you seem really relaxed about um, that highest end performance and you're, you're able to just pivot and follow your motivation and not be stressed about, you know, always trying to send the hardest thing you've ever done. And that just, it seems, it's really interesting to me. I think I get a little bit more stuck with always trying to progress, always trying to climb my hardest and things like that. And I can learn a lot from you um, in that regard. And I just always draw inspiration from that. But I think it'd be fun to just hear what you've been motivated on for the past year since we've talked. What has uh, been exciting to you and and what have you been up to? So, I mean, obviously the the lead into the last year was that the start of last year was, wasn't great uh, for us in the UK. We had quite a lot of sort of COVID lockdowns and it wasn't until really, I think April when we were sort of out and about doing stuff uh, and able to work again. So I didn't really have anything in my mind then. And the year before I'd been a bit sort of wishy-washy as well. So there was nothing really on the, on the uh, spectrum. I didn't have any specific routes I wanted to do. Um, and, and not even a specific style either. It wasn't like I was bouldering or sport climbing or deep water soloing or, or anything. I was just wide open. That was unusual in a way because if I look back over maybe the last 25 years of my life, there's always been something that I've been drawn towards or you know, even if it had been not at the forefront of my mind but tinkering in the back. But I just felt as I was completely without goal uh, and actually, that was quite cool. Uh, that that was nice to have nothing to be, to, not so much stressing about, but it's it quite nice to be able to just go wherever you fancied. And as it turned out, last year was was a real case of things just springing up mm. before me. I, I had no plan. And then looking back on the year, uh, I, d- I did some some cool stuff. I certainly, you know, I felt as though it was some cool stuff. And none of those were planned at all. Like I would never have imagined doing them at all before the year started. And uh, I got, I drew loads of motivation out of them. As soon as I sort of grabbed hold of them, I was really psyched for them. And, and it was, it was all to do with uh, the traditional climbing, really. Mm. I think that started just after Easter when we were sort of allowed to travel again. And I had this longing desire to be out in the sort of wide open spaces, the sort of mountains of the UK. I'd, I'd really missed them. I really wanted to be out in them. So when we were allowed to go back out, I zoomed out there on some big bike rides and some big walks. 
And then I just started getting into the climbing in those places as well. So I wasn't really drawn to the, you know, the short sport cracks. I wanted to be in these wide open spaces. And because I wanted to be in those spaces, I was drawn towards the roots in those places as well. And, and that's how the year kind of unfolded, really. It just it came from that. One thing led to another. What were some of the highlights as far as the climbing goes? I think you, uh, you mentioned we've been emailing back and forth and you mentioned that you thought you did your hardest trad route last year, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's funny when you when we talk about hardest, because there's different ways of interpreting hardest, isn't there? You know, you, you can have an all out number, um, which could be your physical hardest effort. It might have taken you uh, 100 days, for instance. That's the hardest thing you've ever done. Or it could be your hardest on-site or your hardest flash. Um, or how about the hardest thing you've done in a couple of days? You know, mm. it's all it's all very um, arbitrary to some extent. And sometimes you can kind of um, come to some conclusions depending on how much effort you put in on a given day. And certainly I, I did a, a tragic last year, which I did it in a relatively short space of time, but it was hard. And it just pushed me. I, I, I fell off it the first time I tried to to lead it, took quite a big fall, and then managed to not fall off it the second time I tried to lead it. But it, it was really flipping close. <laughs> <laughs> it was really close. And I just felt as though I had to really hold it together um, for both of, of, of my attempts on that route. Mm. And I mean, it's, I don't think it's, the hardest traditional route in the UK, maybe it is. I don't know. It, it's certainly a, a big grade, but it's just such a good route. Great climbing and a great position. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> What's the name of it? And can you describe it a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So it was climbed by Neil Gresham in September last year. He's called it Lexicon. Uh, he's given it an English grade of E11. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a film about this that just came out recently. Mm, yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, I haven't watched that yet. Oh, it's 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 good. I mean, it's, it sort of follows Neil's journey towards it, and it, he he really had to dig in. You know, he trained for it, he dieted, he you know did everything that you need to do for a hard red point, everything. But this is not a red point. Um, to sort of like break it down, um, you got the root. It's itself is oh how many meters high is it it's probably 25 meters or something like that it's 26 meters long or something um, i think that's about sounds about right um and then you've got protection at about two-thirds height maybe a little bit less than two-thirds height maybe a bit less yeah and the, the climbing is hard right to the last move like right to the last move so the like the the, the maths of the route, the sort of like fall potential is really compelling because, you know, if the gear was at half height, then it'd be just too dangerous. Mm. You, you just hit the floor and you fell off. You, you wouldn't stand a chance. If the gear was at three quarters height, then you'd be safe. If you fell off the last move, you, you'd just be all right. You might take a bit of a, bit of a slam into the rock or something, but you're going to be okay. But where it is, it's really a borderline as to whether you're going to, you just don't know what's going to happen. Mm. And the gear is good. Um, I think it's good. It's, it, um, I won't get into the complexities of the gear, but um, there's a couple of really good bits, but they're off to the side. And then the bit you actually fall on is all right. But if that comes out, you start 
swinging and adding further distance to your fall. But, you, you know, I, I think the gear is generally not all going to rip out. Um, but it's just the, the fall is just, yeah, it's so compelling. But anyway, I tested the fall, obviously. But oh, I, wow. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't fall off the last move. I fell off about one meter below the last move. <laughs> and um, I, en- I ended up about three foot above the belay at the bottom. Oh, man. Almost like, like almost the full height of the wall. And uh, it was pretty spicy. I ripped a piece of gear out as well. That didn't help. Um, but yeah, I ended up pretty close. And it was... But so, so like sat on the rope, it was like, oh, so what does that tell us? Like what happens next? So it was pretty spicy having to sort of uh, get myself ready for the next attempt. So I came back about a week later and uh, went for another attempt. But it was it was really just mentally difficult because I knew that once I passed the place I'd fallen off, I was into another area of unknown. Mm. Uh, you know, what happens if I fall the last move? And I, I really nearly fell off the last move. <laughs> really close. So yeah, British trad climbing. Yeah, it's uh, it's a funny one. <laughs> uh, funny one. Yeah, that's one way to say it. Man, that's gripping. I mean, to to come within three feet of the belay, and then to know that you're going to climb one meter higher and potentially fall there. Yeah, I mean that math's pretty simple. Like you're looking at hitting the ground. Um. Yeah, I mean, it, it may be that the belay might have been able to take a little bit of rope in, maybe. I mean, this, I mean, I don't want to sort of like dwell too much on this, but yeah. in, in a fall situation, it's really hard to know how you're going to react as a belay. And mm. you might have these plans. I know you were talking to Tim Emmett the other day about um, some of the stuff he's done. And there is a great video on YouTube. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube of of him belaying his friend Mike Weeks when he falls off a route called Harder Faster. And Tim absolutely saves Mike's life. There's just I think no he, doubt about it. He tells that story on the podcast, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. It's he like the, it. is it's this the, the direct finish to Gaia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. it's really cool. It's a really good thing to watch because you you see Mike start to fall. And then Tim just does this like 100 meter sprint from the base of the crag. He just legs it out and you see the distance he covers while Mike's in the air. You know, Tim's going as fast as Mike is falling <laughs> and he, t- he takes in so much rope and Mike is left like literally just on, like stood on the floor. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> like he totally saved his bacon. But, mm. so, so Tim reacted amazingly well. And you hear all sorts of stories about people like jumping off ledges and taking in slack. Um, but quite often the guy falls off and you just stand there and watch him fall. <laughs> and like the, the reaction time is, it's not enough to really do anything about it unless you've mm. got a really, really solid plan. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's hard to know because, you know, especially with routes that are, that are like intricate and you, you certainly don't want to pull the climber off. And the difficulty with the, the route that I fell off last year was there's there's nowhere to go for the belay the belay can't really like jump down the hill or anything it it's it's all a sort of like a sloping um ledgy kind of affair so the belay can't help in that respect but i don't know whether you'd want them to because the the fall is it's down a nearly vertical face and um if they like leapt off the edge the chances of them slamming you would i think it'd be pretty high mm. Like you, you, the impact force. Are, I mean, you're going a long way. The impact force and just start to get really quite intense. 
I mean, obviously better than hitting the floor. But um, yeah, a tricky one. I mean, I got away with it, but I, mm. I don't think I'd like to do somebody fall from the very last move. That would be scary. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's interesting. You say you got away with it, but there's also a massive, you know, risk assessment and analysis. And um, you're very methodical. I'm sure you had a plan. So I'd love to dig into how you approach something like that. Um, I guess there's two there's two elements to that. Broader speaking, like talking about projecting this route in the first place, what does your strategy look like going into it? Are you just head pointing it from the start, top roping it first to really dial it in? And at what point do you feel comfortable going for that first lead? And then I'd, I'd also be curious to explore after you take that first fall when you're three moves away from the top or whatever it was, what happened? You already said, like, what happens next? I'd love to hear how you thought about that. And if you did more top roping or more rehearsal or um, any, anything else to prepare for that next week's, you know, second try. But let's take it from the start. Like when you're thinking about approaching a route like this, that has this danger element to it, and it's quite hard, I believe. I mean, I remember Tim talking about this route. I think it's like, it's 14A roughly uh, with this massive yeah. fall potential at the top. So a hard route, well within your ability, obviously, but still challenging. What does that strategy look like tackling one of these hard, scary E climbs, E11? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it doesn't have to be E11. It could be any number, I guess. But that's, I mean, that's a really good question, like the process. And obviously, it depends on the individual. I think that I'm not a very big risk taker. I'm quite a, like you say, methodical, quite a sort of engineer at heart. And I'll have uh, basically a look to see what the gear is, how good the gear is, and where the gear is. So that's pretty much my first port of call, regardless of how hard the climbing is. Like, I've got to know what the gear situation is. And if the gear is not very good, then the climbing is going to have to be pretty damn easy mm. for me to go for it. In fact, for a lot of... Um, relatively bold climbers they'd probably think that the the level i have to bring the climbing down to justify uh, a scary dangerous lead is probably like overly cautious you know like i i, I would i wouldn't like to solo you know like five ten even you know i don't like to put myself into a position of uh, potential risk so yeah stage one check the gear do the sort of maths on the route where is the gear relative to the ground how good is the gear? What chance is it falling out? Uh, and once I've sort of conquered stage one, I, I can then start to build up the um, the risk factor around that gear. So just taking um, this particular route, this route lexicon we've been talking about, the gear seemed all right. Uh, I thought it was going to stay in, um, and it looked like the the chance of uh, hitting the ground was relatively small, relatively. So that's so how I, work, I worked from there. And I know a lot of people work on the same principle, but a lot of people don't as well. A lot of people will look at the climbing first. So it's not so much the gear. They look at the climbing and then they will decide what their chances of climbing that route are without falling. And if they feel as though they can, then any gear is a bonus. Mm. Um, if, there's no, if there's no gear, then all right, they're okay. They, they think they can do it. And a lot of the grit head pointing in a scary situation, you know, there is no gear and you can't fall. 
So there's no safety there because there might be some pads that you can try and leap on from a distance. But um, that, that's not the way that I approach it. I, I'm too, uh, I get too gripped and I, I, I'm not into rock climbing for that, um, that high consequence type of climbing. I, I know Tim talked about that quite a lot. He, he liked the phrase, the phrase consequence, didn't he? Mm. And the way that it really makes you, um, you know, put yourself right in the moment and if you accept that there's a, a big consequence, you know, you really zone in on the climbing. Um, I'm not so, uh, I don't thrive on high consequence levels, to be honest. I, I like to just go climbing and to be able to keep on going climbing. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm like you. <laughs> I think most people probably I like are. sport climbing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm probably much further on this, on that end of the spectrum than you are even. Um, well, I want to ask this then what, what level of preparedness do you feel like you have to have before going for that first lead? You know, do you top rope it successfully a certain number of times or is it just, more of um intangible like feeling of comfort that comfort that you have with the climbing and the gear how do you think about um, that i mean that that's another really good question is you know when to go for it and yeah i guess you could um could draw some kind of graph couldn't you where you know you've got a sport route which is super safe and then you've got a, a traditional route which is totally dangerous with no gear and you're gonna die before fall off so it's like they you've got different places in between those levels where you have to look to see how comfortable you are. So if, if I can look at a route and I feel as though the chances of hurting myself in a fall are very slim, even if it's going to be big falls, but I think they're very slim, then I will be able to treat that as a sport route or certainly close to a sport route. So I'll, I'll just go for it straight away maybe even before top roping it but pro probably not but you know one top rope that's that's enough i'll i'll then give it a shot but then as we move further away towards the danger end then obviously i like to be a bit more prepared but to be honest by far the majority of traditional routes that i've done i've barely been able to top rope them um, maybe once has been enough and, and in the case of this route lexicon i did it on a uh, on a self belay um, once, uh, and then I was right. I'm, I'm on for a lead. Mm. I think I can do it. I've just done it, so therefore I should be able to do it again. And um, I knew it was going to be quite close, but I felt as though I had a good chance of doing it. But I felt as though the safety net was enough to go for it without any more further practice. And uh, I, I, I was right, but. Mm. Maybe a little bit closer than what I thought I was <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is the interesting thing, like going back to your comments about hardest and what that means. That's an, that's an interesting um, principle, I guess, with these routes that aren't at your physical limit, but you're doing them much quicker than, than you would do Rain Man or something like that. Like you can almost make the experience less meaningful if you over-prepare. You know, there's like some sweet spot where you're you're doing it at kind of your earliest opportunity where you're prepared enough to be able to pull it off, but you haven't just wired the entire thing. And, mm. you know, cause I could imagine if you had spent like an extra month trying Lexicon, it might've been less interesting when you actually climbed it, it might've been less rewarding. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that the fact that I fell off it 
it, it added a whole level of um, psych and it was so interesting to actually to go back and try and do it again and, and succeed. I felt, I felt I had a real experience. I think if I'd just done it the first time, it would have been a relatively small experience. It would have been great, but I certainly racked up the, um, the experience points with that one. And I honestly feel as though it was, a, it was a, an awesome experience to go through the falling and having to reassess and, you know, come back up with the, a plan and then to go through it again was, was really good. So, yeah, it's um, like you say, to just dial something down. I mean, I've done it before in the past. We've all done it where you, you red point something and for whatever reason on that given day, it wasn't so much a big deal. You know, everything went well, conditions were good. You just set off, tried a bit hard, and then you were at the top. And you were like, oh, that wasn't that hard, actually. Um, you know, what was that all about? I've spent 20 days trying it, and, you know, it wasn't very hard in the end. You sort of walk away from it feeling as though you had the, a fully rounded experience. Mm. Um, so to just get something by the skin of your teeth. There's also something going on where if you haven't really practice something you have to improvise and you know figure things out on the go and that that again adds to the sort of heightened experience you have at the end if it's all totally pre-described then you know there's no variation there's no change you just literally just set off and go through the motions but i love it when you got to improvise and you know that handle you were going to use suddenly you can't hold it anymore for whatever reason got you a different one and you know your feet skid off and all, all that sort of stuff is great brilliant <laughs> So that brings us back to uh, that time frame in between the first try and the second try. What happens Ooh. after you fall off? Like, how do you how do you think about the route? What are you doing in your own head to um, to mitigate the risk from there on, or to get yourself psyched for another try? What what did that look like? So, I mean, obviously, the route in terms of its actual climbing, it's just like you think about it like you're thinking about a red point. So you go through the moves. You know, this hand here, that hand there, foot here. It's just the same, like where you, you know, you really think about every single move while you lie in bed or on the bus or whatever. You know, it, it's, that's the same. But there's this little thing in the background, this little sort of heart flutter thing that you you imagine like what it's going to be like to fall off. And you, you're going through that as well. You're thinking, right, well, if I fall off from here, you know, considering where I got to last time, where could I get to there? And, you know, you're thinking about that quite a lot as well. But I just convinced myself that falling off the last move was going to be just okay. But to be honest, I, I'd kind of convinced myself that I wouldn't fall off the last move. No. I was pretty sure that the the move that I fell off was, for me, the hardest move, not by very much. I kind of figured if I could get through that, I'd probably be okay because the last moves are sort of um, positive, edgy stuff. Uh, but I just underestimated the fatigue level and I got through the move that I'd fallen off and started putting the next few moves together. And uh, it was like, ooh, <laughs> I'm actually a bit more tired than what I thought I was going to be up here. So, uh, yeah, I, like I said, it, it's one of the few routes where having done it, I was really psyched, obviously really happy, like, hey, brilliant, that was great. But afterwards, I sort of took myself off. I had a little bit of a word to myself. I've not really done that ever before where I just thought, hang on a minute, like, I think you might have just pushed it a little bit far then. You, you, mm. you can't do that very often. You've got away with this one, but let's just take a little bit of care because, you know, you, 
you, you've got family, you know, you, you, you can't, maybe you shouldn't be taking risks like this. I mean, if I'd worked it and practiced it for another month and I was sure I was going to do it, then yeah, whatever. But I'd literally throw myself in this. Mm. Took a lot because I wasn't quite ready and I didn't even do any more prep at all. Just had another go, treating it like a scary sport route. But I think it's a bit more than that. Mm. Uh, not mm. to be taken lightly. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow my palms are sweating steve <clears throat> <laughs> it's it's something which not many climbers would really want to get into um i mean sport climbing is great isn't it <laughs> you jump off all day, it's fine. <laughs> but i mean for me the the traditional climbing it just adds another layer you mm. know it, it's that whole thing where you're thinking about all the gear and the placements and you're taking on the full challenge of of nature really aren't you you've really got to think about it all mm. and there's so much more to it and it doesn't have to be dangerous i think probably most traditional climbing is relatively safe as long as you can place the gear well it just adds that extra layer and uh, i think we've got some really good traditional climbing here in the uk so might as well crack on with it mm. oh, that's great um i'd wanted to ask you this we had we had emailed back and forth about this a little bit but and we explored this a little bit in our first conversation, but I want to ask you, you know, in regards to the last year and just following your motivation with trad climbing, are you trying to maintain your top end at the same time? Do you do anything to try to make sure you don't let your potential 515 sport climbing abilities backslide at all, or your finger strength, or, you know, are you worried about that at all? Are you doing anything to try to maintain that? Or do you just let it ebb and flow and just follow your motivation? So, I mean, that's, that's a great question. I'd be surprised if I got my top end, as it were. Uh, I, I don't really try and push that. I let it ebb and flow, depending on what I'm psyched for. And it, it, I think it's really hard to keep the top end because that that demands quite a lot certainly i think back to the times when i've been maybe at my best and i was putting in a lot of effort uh, it never felt like a chore because obviously there was a, an end goal that i was motivated for and that little bit of extra effort is the bit that i don't do very much of now or or, or wasn't doing very much of when i was not particularly motivated to be my best and, and when i say little extra bit it, it might be things like you know like the other day well, just just the other day in fact just down the climbing wall two and a half hour bouldering session um, which was great and i sort of finished off that bouldering session with my fingers feeling pretty sort of worked and uh, my body feeling pretty worked as well and then i just did an extra sort of 20 minutes of conditioning stuff upstairs but if i was really psyched i might have done an extra session at home i might have done some fingerboarding or maybe some pull-ups or like a a block of power endurance or an, another hour of stuff on top of that uh, another example might be after a day's route setting i might do nine or ten hours of route setting come home get home at nine o'clock at night have some food and then go back a few years when i was really psyched i might have done a fingerboard session for mm. an hour whereas now there's no way there's no way i'd do that at all and I don't know how much difference that actually makes to me personally. I've got a feeling that it makes some difference, but maybe not as much as what it might appear hmm. that it would make. You know, like I do a lot of stuff anyway. So, you know, I, I boulder like at the moment, I'm bouldering like three times a week and still doing some 
some power endurance training and I'm setting like two, even three days a week out my bike quite a lot. You know, I do a lot of stuff and it probably holds me at a reasonable level, but maybe a few percent off my top level. So, so I don't try and hold my top. I just ebb and flow with it. But, I, I, you know, I'm quite motivated. I, I quite like to, to try hard. And I think trying hard gives you a decent level. I mean, ironically, I, I spent a few hours with the Lattice team earlier. Was it last, yeah, last week with the Lattice team getting tested for, on their critical force machine? Yeah. See how I uh, how I look on that. Uh, you know, I have your I have your Instagram post about that pulled up right here because hey. <laughs> there it is. Because yeah, there's a photo of you with Maddie Cope. I wanted to ask you about that. I wanted to ask you what you learned from that. So this is perfect. Mm, okay, so uh, I mean, Lattice team great. They're constantly evolving their testing protocols and moving forward and getting more and more useful information. And the thing I was doing for them was this critical force where they're looking to see what what force you could hold for like a long period of time. So if you imagine like setting off on a, you imagine setting off on like a 20 degree overhanging wall with 20 mil edges all the way Hey friends, I hope you enjoyed that teaser with Steve. Once again, the full version of this conversation is an hour and 40 minutes. So you've got about an hour and 10 minutes of extra bonus content that you can listen to if you sign up for Patreon. And you can do that right now. It just takes a few minutes to sign up. Head over to patreon.com slash the nugget climbing. You can sign up to support the show for $5 per month and get access to more than 30 follow-up conversations that I've done so far with past guests from the show. You'll also get the ad-free versions of normal episodes. You can skip the ads and you can submit questions for upcoming guests on the show. So pretty good deal for five bucks a month. And you can cancel at any time no questions asked. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for tuning in today. And we'll see you back here on Monday for another regular episode. Like we do it.